0: Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy.
1: Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.
2: Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. When IVF first started, we didn't have medications to make more than one egg grow at a time. So we
3: followed somebody's natural ovulation, trying uh-huh. to watch the one egg get mature. And then you don't have this minimally invasive egg retrieval. Katie, they would go like a surgery, a real life surgery no, through the no, abdomen. No, into, no. It, yeah. No, yes. And they would stick no. a needle into that one little follicle. You get one little shot at it, but you'd have to be like general anesthesia all the way asleep.
2: Wow, you guys, this has come so far. I'm doing I'm doing i my way. Information provided by Dr. Crawford during this podcast is for general education purposes and should not be relied upon as professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment for any individual. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Katie's Crib. We've got a real fancy, impressive doctor in the house today, which I love. I'm very excited to have this conversation. This is a conversation that I have with my girlfriends constantly, on all coasts, all cities. It is a hot topic, and this is what Dr. Natalie Crawford does all day, all night. Dr. Natalie Crawford is a fertility physician in Austin, Texas, and she's the co-founder of a boutique fertility practice called Fora Fertility. She is also the host of the As a Woman podcast and her YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford, MD. Dr. Crawford's work focuses on empowering women and promoting fertility awareness and education. She's uh, married to Austin native Jason Crawford, and they have two young children. Welcome to Katie's crib, Dr. Crawford. You must be busy.
3: (laughs) Katie, thank you so much for having me. I am I am busy. People are finally talking about fertility or not. Putting it away in the closet or having as much stigma as there has been in the past. And I really feel like this is an area where even very educated, very successful women do not understand a lot about their own fertility and their own body. And there's huge room for improvement for making sure that we can all know how our body works and how it's supposed to work. Because if we don't know the basics, how do we know when something's wrong or how do we know to get help?
2: That's 100%. I can remember the first time just trying to get pregnant and going to like an acupuncturist. And she was like, what's your ovulation juices? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, you don't know about (laughs) your body and when what days happen and when things get egg white versus clear versus stretchy versus thick. And I was like, I'm so mortified about my own not knowing, just not knowing about what my body does and when it does it and why it does it. And it's so cool that you know all about that stuff. We've heard about the egg retrieval process. We've actually done an episode about the egg retrieval process from two of my best friends, Stephanie Black and Lindsay Craft. But I would love to hear about the egg retrieval experience from an expert's perspective. Yes. I'm excited for you to explain blastocyst stage. (laughs) Can you just take me through like the big sweeping things about egg retrieval process?
3: Let's do it. Let's rewind because I think to understand the egg retrieval process real quick, We've got to understand what happens on a month-to-month basis so you can understand what we're going to do. And then I'll talk quickly about egg retrieval and then what happens after. What is a blastocyst? Yeah. The reality is most of us think in our brain we lose one egg per month. That's the egg that you ovulate, and that's not really how the human body works. I like to use this terrible analogy, but if you can imagine inside your ovary, if there's a little vault, and that's where all your eggs are kept. So when you're born, your vault is full you lose eggs out of the vault, and when the vault is empty, you go into menopause. What actually happens every month is that a group of eggs is released from the vault at one time. One of these is chosen to ovulate, the rest of them die, and the next month another group comes out. And you can't change this process, meaning when you're pregnant it happens, when you're on birth control pills it happens, we're always losing eggs out of that vault. But the number of eggs that come out of the vault is correlated to the number that is inside the vault, meaning when your vault's really full, you release more every month, and when you're Mm -hmm. about to go into menopause, you only release a couple.
1: This
2: is a fact. I've never known any of this. I'm already mind-blown. Okay, okay. We're about to blow your mind. So
3: when you do IVF or egg freezing, like real big picture, all I'm trying to do is get the eggs that have come out of the vault for this one month to grow, and then I'm going to take those eggs out of your body. So instead of, for example, having 20 eggs come out of the vault, one ovulates and 19 die, I'm trying to say, hey, this month, hey, March of 2022, I want to get all 20 eggs to grow. So I'm going to give you hormone shots to get all those eggs to grow, and then I'm going to take them all out of your body at one time. So that's what the egg retrieval is. So number one, understanding How many eggs you might have is really helpful because it changes how we get them all to grow, but also set your expectations appropriately. And that's one thing that all women can handle this process, but we're really bad just as a whole of walking blindly through a forest. When you have no idea what's coming, everything is going to be harder. But if you have somebody who tells you, hey, you have less than average for your age, and that is why you're going to get fewer than your best friend when she goes through this process, it helps you set parameters for expectations. So we can see how many eggs are outside the vault by ultrasound and a blood test called AMH. So those things help us quantify number of eggs.
2: Are they always correct?
3: They give us categories, like average for your age, above average, below average, because your body is setting an actual number every month. So if I say average for a 30-year-old is going to be 20 eggs out of the vault, one month it may be 20, and then 18, and then 19, and then 22. So there's some variation. but The other thing that happens is that, and we all peripherally know this, the quality of eggs starts to decrease as we get older. Genetic stability inside the eggs decreases. I like to think about those eggs inside the vault, taking the wear and tear of your life, they're breaking down, the proteins are breaking down. And just like our joints get sore as we get older and we get wrinkles on our face, the same thing starts to happen inside our eggs. So at age 35, the number that's like brandished in our brain as women approximately half your eggs are going to be normal and half of them are not. And this is why we start talking about doing IVF or egg freezing, understanding how many eggs you have helps, but also understanding expectations for how many may be genetically normal sets the road of expectations. So it's kind of the basis. So we're going to do IVF or egg freezing. I want to understand how old are you? How many eggs am I expecting to get? You're going to take hormone shots for a couple of weeks, which are going to get the eggs to grow. And then you're going to come in for the egg retrieval procedure. People are the most nervous or anxious about that procedure because it's like the big moment for egg freezing. It's really a minimally invasive procedure. There's no knives. There's one needle. Very simple compared to a lot of other procedures. It is done typically under a light anesthesia. Think colonoscopy. So you're breathing on your own. No intubation, no breathing machine, none of that stuff. Right. We don't want you to feel it. We do attach a really long, y'all can't see me, my my hands are very long right now, very long needle to the vaginal ultrasound. And you can see it, it's a little bright white line on ultrasound. And we enter vaginally into the ovaries while we watch with the ultrasound. And you see these follicles that have grown, these small fluid-filled structures, each one houses an egg. It'll enter into a little follicle The little follicle drains and collapses, and you get test tubes full of all that follicular fluid and eggs. When did this egg freezing procedure first exist? So the oldest IVF baby is like 41. So that's the oldest person who's been born from IVF. When IVF first started, we didn't have medications to make more than one egg grow at a time. So we followed somebody's natural ovulation, trying Uh to watch the one egg get mature.
2: Oh my God, what a pain in the ass. And then you don't
3: have this minimally invasive egg retrieval. Katie, they would go like a surgery, a real life surgery no, through the no, abdomen. In no, no. And then, yeah, no. Yes, and they would stick a needle into that one little follicle. You get one little shot at it, but you'd have to be like general anesthesia all the way asleep. Wow, you guys, this has come so far. Isn't that crazy? And you know, it was so stigmatized. These women would go and they would have to spend a couple weeks like at a hotel outside the fertility clinic, because it's real surgery.
2: You don't want to miss that one egg window. Because, one oh egg, that's
3: all I'd imagine. You're waiting on this one moment to maybe have surgery the next day for your IVF. And if you miss it and you ovulate, then you got to wait a whole nother month to get it. IVF has changed so far. And sometimes we take for granted how great that is, that we can improve these odds so amazing by having these medications.
2: Did it used to be even more expensive? It
3: did. And it, because it was so much less successful, like you'd have to do it multiple times. And there wasn't just the availability to do that because there were, you know, women and couples who wanted to do this. And if you could only cycle one patient, you're watching them so closely. There's no way to scale. And there, there was originally only one clinic in the U.S. that did it. And now there's tons of great fertility clinics and good places you can go. So when the day we get the eggs out of the egg retrieval, We consider ovulation day. So that's day zero. So that would be equating it to natural conception, the day that an egg is released from the ovary. We then, if we were doing IVF and going to make embryos, we get a sperm sample that same day as day zero. And then we fertilize the eggs with the sperm.
2: Does it have to happen on day zero?
3: It does. If you're going to make embryos, it does. Otherwise, the eggs have to be frozen. They only live for 24 hours. That's in the body or out. Meaning if you don't get them fertilized at just the right time, they are going to seal off and be, they cannot be penetrated
2: by sperm. This is so stressful. So the egg has this
3: tiny little window. So in an IVF cycle, luckily we know exactly what it is. We just took the egg out of the body. Most places are now doing a type of fertilization called ICSI, which means you take up a little sperm and a little pipette and you crack open the egg and you put the sperm inside. That's the newest and gives us the highest fertilization rates. These embryologists are amazing. These are the people who train years to be able to do these micro manipulation techniques under the microscope. So day number one is the first that you have an actual embryo, meaning the egg has either accepted the sperm and divided or it has not. So that's when you have however many fertilized. That normally happens in the fallopian tube. So if we're going back to natural conception, embryos fertilize in the fallopian tube. They then have to grow and develop from that little two cell embryo into about a 300 cell blastocyst over the next five to six days. That is where the embryo is separated into what will become the placenta and the baby. And essentially, that is the implantation stage embryo. That's when an embryo could grow into the uterus. So, normally, that process takes five or six days from the fallopian tube to get in the uterus. And that's what's happening in the IVF lab, meaning that's the environment where we're watching these little embryos grow in culture. And I always say, not like our body, but the IVF lab is the perfect temperature and pH and there's no inflammation or toxins or other things. So it's this ideal environment. However, even in that ideal environment, not every egg will be fertilized. Not every fertilized egg will make it to a blastocyst. Not every blastocyst will be genetically normal. That's based on your age. And not every genetically normal blastocyst will implant and
2: become a baby. Is there a client story that you can walk us through for a scenario example? Think of someone you've worked with of how many eggs she lost through the process all the way to the birthing process.
3: Let's pretend you're an average 32-year-old. You have about 20 eggs. Our goal is to try to get them all to maturity at the same pace. The body's goal is to not let that to happen because your body doesn't want to have 20 babies at one time. So the ovary is going to resist that. We are typically unable to get every egg mature that we can, but we usually do a really good job. So most of the time you're going to see around 80 to 90 percent maturity. So let's say if we have 20 eggs, we go through the process and let's say we get 18 of them mature. Fantastic. They're frozen. We love it. About 85 to 90% of eggs survive the freeze-thaw. That's not 100. So you need to, in your brain, or have your doctor roll with you, okay, I'm going to lose a couple eggs just from normal process. That number, just for comparison, 10 years ago was 40% survival. So I just said wow. 90% survival. So wow. way better. But so if I have 18 eggs, okay, now in my brain, I lost two in that freeze-thaw process. Now I have sixteen. 16. Typical fertilization rates with sperm are going to be about 75 to 80 percent. So let's say of the 16, 12 of them have now fertilized. From there, about half of them will make it through to that blastocyst stage. So now we're at 6, and then based on age, we would expect hmm, 50 to 60 percent normal. And so that would be, okay, let's say conservatively 3. And then each of those is going to have approximately a 65 percent chance of a live birth, So in the math equation, we usually like having two embryos in the equation for every baby you want to have. So in this one, you had 18 mature eggs frozen. That's the number that's in your brain. I'm rolling around. I have 18 mature eggs. Wonderful. That makes us feel good for a baby and maybe a chance for a second baby. But if you are dead set, I need two kids because my sister is my world and I would never want to have an only child. We're going to want a higher number than 18. And this is even in your early 30s. And so somebody should be working that equation for you. On the flip end, that should not scare anybody, right? That is the, hey, I'm trying to optimize this and I want to put the numbers in my camp. I've had somebody go through and get three eggs. She had bad endometriosis. She was 35. That's what we could get. She could only afford to do the process once. When we went to thaw them, Two of them fertilized, one of them grew out, it was normal, it is a living child now. So these numbers give us perspective.
2: But it's also not everything.
3: It is not everything, and it doesn't mean that if you have a low number, it's not worth it.
2: As you mention on your As A Woman podcast... It's important that you can view what you have as the assurance that it may or may not be. Why should we get our eggs harvested when there's such a low percentage that the eggs will even survive?
3: That's a really good question. I always tell people just to think about their goals overall. And when we should start thinking about egg freezing is if we are in our early 30s or later and we're not ready to have a family. However, we know that is a goal we don't want to let pass us by because we don't know if you are going to run out of eggs early and what if you have missed your window of opportunity this come about because we'll see women walk in the office at you know 37 38 39 and suddenly they have a very low egg count and they need IVF for whatever reason but they're looking at multiple cycles thousands and thousands of dollars and if we had had a cohort of eggs that had a higher percentage genetically normal and we had more of them You just keep doors open. One thing I don't love is that people will often equate egg freezing to an insurance policy on their fertility. Like, I'm insuring my fertility. And I always say an insurance policy is a guarantee, right? If your house burns down and you have house insurance, you're going to get money for a new house. This is an investment. This is like the stock market. The return on that investment depends on the environment of which you are going to go cash it in on. Meaning what's the sperm going to be? What is your medical condition? Other factors that we may not be able to know right now do influence some of that progression through culture and what your outcomes look like. However, investing your money is a good thing and making smart financial investments are good. And so investing in yourself and your future fertility is something that has shown in studies, even if you never go and use your eggs later, that it's giving you happiness along the process because it allowed you to explore other relationships without feeling the pressure of that biological clock.
2: Oh, yeah. I've never had so many friends do a thing that has brought them peace of mind. I've had many friends who didn't even use them. And then I've had friends use them and and both the same, just very relieved and happy that the option was there and that they did it.
3: For family planning, one thing we don't always think about is It's not just about baby one or when you start your family. The good thing about having frozen eggs that are good quality and from when you were younger is that if you meet that life partner or you're ready to get pregnant with a sperm donor, be a single mom, whatever the situation is, how old are you going to be if you want to add a sibling to that, right? How many years are going to pass before you're ready? And we know that those fertility rates, the egg number go down, the quality of the eggs becomes worse. So having those eggs expands what you might be able to have as far as a total family size and that's important to people too we often get really tunnel vision focused on that baby one mm-hmm. i see people come to me 38 or 39 they're starting their family but they really want to have three or four kids because they grew up with siblings or they really want a big family right. that's just part of this dream right. and i'm i sit here and i say look at the math if you got pregnant tomorrow where are we when we're trying for baby two and three and so very often if we're in those more advanced reproductive ages, we are le- looking at IVF and saving embryos for what we call embryo banking, maybe family planning goals. Hey, I'm foreseeing that I want to have a kid in my 40s, and that may be tough. So I'm going to have some normal embryos right now when they're easier to get and find so I can achieve that goal. And that's why thinking about the big picture, not just the right now goal, but maybe your big picture goal, yep. at least in your ideal world. We all know. Goals change and we feel different as time goes on. But if you can do something that's going to keep doors open or get you closer to achieving that reproductive goal, we shouldn't just ignore it like you know so many of us did for so long, just because there, there was no other option. The reality is when I was the right age to freeze my eggs, I couldn't. There's nowhere that would have done it. It wasn't a thing that was offered because the technology wasn't as good. So just as we talked about how the IVF technology has gotten better, an egg is a single cell. A blastocyst is 300 cells. So freezing an embryo, it is much stronger and sturdier and they survive very well. A single cell, mostly of water. I now need to freeze it, preserve its genetic integrity and be able to thaw it with accuracy so that it can function and accept a sperm and become an embryo. That's pretty amazing when you think about what is happening. And so that technology changed from 2012, 2014. And the success rate of freezing and thawing eggs went up dramatically. That's when we started seeing this offered. people getting trained in the new technology. And that's why now you have to wait till enough people get trained in enough clinics. This does feel commonplace. And it does feel like you can walk in to any fertility clinic and get your eggs frozen. But 10 years ago, you definitely could not. That was not an option.
2: Wow. I'm so relieved this has come so far. It's
3: come so far. And I think sometimes people carry these just ideas or these misconceptions, which I completely understand. Yeah, that's what I was going
2: to ask about. What are the biggest misconceptions when it comes to egg freezing?
3: The biggest one that I see is that it's going to work. I'm Mm. going to do IVF or Mm. I'm going to freeze Mm. my eggs and that will work for me. It has the highest chance of working. It's the only thing that exceeds natural conception. I mean, I have no other technology close. But it's not a guarantee, and and that's really, it's hard personally, it makes my job hard, but it's also hard for patients because it is financially very expensive. The other kind of thing is that patients often think they have to be in the clinic every day, forever and ever, and it's going to be this huge time suck of their life. And it's really not at most clinics, it's definitely not at ours, because we've perfected the process to know when we need to see you, to be efficient with your time, and really... Most of my patients are only taking that day off of work for the actual egg retrieval. I'm getting anesthesia process. And so I think, though, people are like, I can't take two weeks off work. I can't be
2: driving here every day yeah, for a I'm, month. Like right.
3: Exactly. That's not how you have to do it. You take the medications on your own at home. You'll come in when we need to see you, but it's not going to be every day. And right. we're pretty good at ballparking. This is the week your retrieval is going to be. So I always say don't have your big work meeting, your best friend's wedding. We're gonna plan around those things because you have to keep having your life while you go through this process.
2: I know that one of the most common questions that you receive has gotta be, what is the best age to freeze your eggs? What other things impact egg freezing other than age?
3: Age is still the number one predictor of success across the board for any fertility treatments, including egg freezing. Studies that have evaluated this are evaluating usually the cost effectiveness of the procedure. And so that's typically age 32 to 33 for the average person. If you're not ready to be trying for a family at that age, that's when you're still going to have a really high number of eggs and high quality of eggs for the average person. Of course, everybody is different. So I usually say the moment you're considering, it's the right moment because we don't know. We don't know what your future will hold. We don't know what happens. You can always go and get that ovarian reserve, meaning the ultrasound, the blood work, see your egg count, because I've certainly had 26, 28-year-olds who are having a lower egg count than they should, and they're very happy they started this process a little bit earlier mm. so that they don't run into that situation. On the flip end, 36, 38, any eggs at those ages are better than zero eggs. So is there too old Not necessarily with proper counseling. It does start to become much harder when you're 40 and older. At age 40, about 25% of your eggs are gonna be normal. At age 42 and above, it'll be 10%. We counsel really detailed about how many eggs do you have and what do these percentages mean. We do think lifestyle variables matter, meaning let's use smoking cigarettes. So we know if somebody smokes cigarettes, They're going to have a higher percentage of genetically abnormal eggs than somebody who is should be their age. And they're going to have fewer eggs. It gets in, I think of it like kills the eggs inside the vault. There are things and toxins in the world, a lot of them we are just starting to understand. The United States isn't a very consumer-friendly place when it comes to toxins in your products and foods and those type of things. So I feel like that evidence is emerging But we do see that the things you put in and on your body impact your fertility and appear to impact the quality of your eggs. So that's where we want to do what we can to be healthy, especially if we're going through the process and be mindful of some of those variables.
2: What are some ways to cope with the roller coaster that this egg freezing process entails? It's very emotional and triggering and ups and downs. And I got a good number. I got a low number. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Number one is set your boundaries. So think about it ahead of time. Set boundaries of who you're going to tell and what kind of support. And I hear this from the friend all the time. My friend's going through egg freezing and I don't know what to do to help them, but I want to help them. Or my friend's going through infertility. If you're the person going through it, it is very helpful to say, Hey, I'm going through, can I call a event? No, I really don't want to hear what other friends have had. I just want to be a safe space. So I'd love if you had any free time to drive me or help with shots or do this thing or watch this video or come with me to this visit so I can have extra eyes and ears. And if you're a friend, you can suggest some of those things. Hey, do you want somebody? I can drive you to that appointment or I can come with you and just hear what your doctor is saying. Cause I know you, you know, have a lot going on right now. Those acts are very kind and very meaningful. I do think knowing where you get your support from, maybe it's your real life friends. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it is. An online group, but leaning on somebody for support is very helpful because it is an emotionally draining process. If we think about it, your estrogen rises, you're gonna get bloated, you're gonna gain weight, you're gonna have pressure, you can't work out like you normally can't, you can't drink. I just took away a lot of people's stress relieving mechanisms. You're uncomfortable, you don't sleep well. And then after the egg retrieval, we think it's all gonna be better you, your pain shouldn't be terrible. It usually feels really crampy, like a bad period. But then you have this huge hormonal drop, right? Each egg made estrogen. You just grew 20 of them. You normally grow one. Your estrogen now 20 times what it should be. And now it's going to fall off a plateau. So it's like PMS on steroids. You know, you're not going to feel like yourself and be able to do your normal things. And if nobody knows, You just get into this place where you're very isolated. So doing what you can to set yourself up for success and to not be isolated, whether it's that one friend or the online group or your therapist, that's really helpful. My kids were pregnancies five and six, so there were a lot of miscarriages along the way. And this was a while ago, six and seven years old, but I I didn't tell anybody. I had a lot of stigma. I mean, being a physician, being in training, getting pregnant means you're going to be out of commission other people are going to work for you there's a lot that goes into it and I didn't tell anybody and so then it, I got into this situation how do you how do you tell somebody you're miscarrying and you need help if they never knew you were pregnant now you feel like didn't tell you yeah I didn't tell you this moment now but let me tell you now that I need it's this it really started to separate me from some people who I know would have really supported me. So the thing that I often tell people is against that old advice of don't tell anybody you're pregnant until you're out of the first trimester. It's who is your core? And if something is going really wrong, who's going to show up? Who are you going to rely on? And try to let those people in. Hey, we're having a hard time. Okay, that helps them know that if they are pregnant, not to just blurt it all over the place and to handle that moment with care. Oh, tell them when you get the pregnancy test. That way, if something goes wrong, you can call and say that pregnancy didn't work out and they're there for you because those moments are so much harder to tolerate alone. Tell them you're going through infertility. Tell them you're going through IVF. Tell them when you get the positive test. Have them there to also know,
2: okay, it's early. We're anxious, but I'm going through this with you. We're cautiously optimistic. That's what I always say. Like If people will tell me when they're early on and no one else knows. And I'm like, I'm not saying a word of anything. We're just saying we're cautiously optimistic.
3: And yeah, I totally, I love that you say that. It's like my favorite way to phrase that because there's no reason not to be optimistic, but we're cautious. We don't know what's going to happen. And so I think that as a whole, the more we can talk about it with each other and we normalize that conversation, the more support we give. And there are people in everybody's life who a thousand percent would show up to support you, but you got to give them the chance.
2: long do eggs last after they're frozen?
3: So eggs don't get freezer burn. So right now <laughs> they don't. I like that yeah. thing. Um, and we have much more data on embryos because, as, again, egg freezing is still newer. But if we equate this to embryos, the longest an embryo was frozen and became a baby was 27 years. Holy crap. Isn't that crazy?
2: Insane. But yeah. Wow. It's outrageous.
3: So they don't get freezer burn. So we don't know. The technology is still on the new-ish side. So might that change in the future? Maybe. But it does not appear to. Meaning there does not appear to be an expiration date on eggs. And in fact, many people are saving eggs an extended amount of time. So I have fertility doctor friends who have eggs frozen, who are planning to keep them in case their daughter needs eggs or something. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's what people in the field are doing. So we do not... See or have data that they're going to be
2: bad next year if you don't use them or anything like that. God forbid something got messed up and they like de thawed or something (laughs) like at the egg freezing place. Is that like a thing? Yeah, so that is a thing. And it
3: happened, I guess, in 2018, two different clinics across the country owned by different people both had failures in their tanks. So they were different, but essentially one was like a generator-based issue, lost power generator didn't turn on, and one was a, like, I don't know, door didn't close and somebody didn't get notified. Okay, so this is all speaking towards why things cost money that we don't understand, right? Because the things that we've got to put into these embryology labs as far as, a one bajillion generators, so if you lose power, all the energy is going where it needs to go. Alarm systems to have a chain of command. I'll tell you from ours, if power goes out, if a door is left open, it starts robo calling certain people, and it does not stop until this problem is corrected. Because some of these things, had somebody been notified soon enough, wouldn't have been a big deal, but it's wow. the extent of time that went on. Also, things that have happened are transferring the wrong samples. They really are terrifying if you're a fertility patient to think about. Most of these circumstances have on uncovered, revealed lack of staffing, doing too many cycles for how many people are there, overall not good protocols, and cheaper price points.
2: I'm just shaking my head. Like, is this
3: real? Yeah. So I think I think it's good to ask, and I tell everybody really upfront: What process and procedures do you have to keep my sample safe? Like, how do you know it's mine, and how do you keep it safe? Your doctor should one thousand percent know what is happening in their lab, and they are your representative to use that lab. I can tell you right now. Like, okay. The embryos, when they're growing, they're kept in different tanks at different stages of development. Each one is labeled with a different color and has your name and your date of birth. And this is how those are labeled. Two people have to check it all the time. That means if you follow up with how many people work in the lab, there needs to be more than just one or two people. Because if two people have to check it all the time, two people aren't always 1,000% going to be there. And so then what generators do you have? What alarm systems do you have? You don't have to know what the right answer is. But if your doctor says, oh, I don't know. Or let me find out. I'm not sure. What are they doing? This is one of the most important things that we do is protect people's reproductive samples.
2: Nothing's perfect. But again, I think it goes to like really do your research and your due diligence when you're meeting with fertility clinics and which doctor you're going to trust. Let's talk about price, because I know this is a big one for people. According to NPR in 2021, without insurance, egg freezing can range anywhere from $10,000 to $20,000. What is the most affordable yet impactful way to undergo such a process?
3: This is a good question, and there's a lot to unpack when we think about it. We are relying on people to freeze a single cell using the highest technology. We have to rely that that can be thawed and be able to become an embryo later. The procedure does take anesthesia, has to be done in a certain type of room. You've got to go under the stuff. The medications cost a lot of money, too. So when you put all of those pieces together, that number is relatively accurate, meaning most people will probably spend from about $12,000 to, let's say, $12,000 for the process. Mm -hmm. Twenty is unusually high for egg freezing. Potentially, somebody's doing multiple cycles. That definitely could get to that number very easily. There are places that do egg freezing much cheaper, and we just have to look in context about how are they accomplishing that? Are they advertising on a cheap price, but then the medications make up the difference and other prices are not? Are they cutting corners somewhere? Or like, how are they doing it so much cheaper than other places? Are they staffed appropriately with the number of embryologists? Or are they trying to, to do more cases with one, right? How are some clinics operating at much, much lower costs than others? And I always think that's just an interesting question. And a little red flag, if you are getting a price point that's much lower than that 10000 why is that? Some states have mandated fertility coverage, and they will cover egg freezing or IVF for a certain number of cycles, while other states do not. So you will see people who live in Illinois or Massachusetts, they are automatically going to have coverage benefits. People who live here in Texas with me, they are not. We are luckily seeing a huge trend in the employer-based sector where employers of especially tech-based companies are covering it and they're using that as a benefit to offer people to make them happy with their job because studies have shown that if your place of employment is supporting your family-building dreams, you're happier with them overall. And so I am hopeful that that trend continues because that is not like traditional insurance. It's a fertility-specific option. There's a lot of different ways employers are doing it. But it is opening the doors for so many to do egg freezing and to do it without restrictions. One thing to think about let's use, I won't name them by name, but a common insurance you may have an insurance card for in your wallet. If you wanna come freeze your eggs, your plan says has fertility benefits. But if I call them, you have to be trying to get pregnant for 12 months to tap into any of your fertility benefits. So if you are single and wanna freeze your eggs, if you're a lesbian and you haven't been, Trying with intercourse heterosexually, like they define it. It's so terrible. Then suddenly you might have this huge amount that your insurance covers for fertility, but you don't get to qualify for any of it. I think it's very discriminating and very frustrating. I
2: can't believe that exists. Jeez. What can you do if you can't afford egg freezing, but you want to do it so badly? I mean, I know friends who've asked for loans from their parents, you know, put it all on credit card and paid it off over time. Those are the most
3: common things are personal loans from family members, small loans from banks, or getting a credit card that has no interest for a year, and then you essentially yeah, paying are paying off. it off to yourself. Some clinics do have payment plan options or they're able to pay it off over a different timeline. so it's always helpful to inquire if your clinic can offer that or not. There are grant based programs that will cover egg freezing. A lot of grants have certain restrictions also as far as you have to be married or a certain religion or these other annoying factors. But I'm on the board of a great grant program called BabyQuest, and they accept anybody who wants to better their fertility oh, wow, for any reason. Oh, that's awesome. There are some resources. you got to put in the dirty work of trying to figure out what they are. So it's an amazing process of what we're able to accomplish with egg freezing. And it sucks that it's expensive, but at the same point, of course it's expensive.
2: What can we do to encourage society to add egg freezing into all healthcare policies?
3: In general, we need a lot more fertility advocacy across the board, even when we see advocacy that seems to make sense. So, for example, I went to advocate, I'm in Texas, here to get egg freezing coverage for cancer patients because we know that chemotherapy often decreases your egg count and you may not be able to have children for that. To me, that seems like a bipartisan support. Like, you have cancer, let's help you have a baby later. And we can do it. But you have to decide. It's such a hot moment for patients with cancer because they have to decide immediately. You're deciding 20 things at once. You're like deciding about your cancer and your chemo or your surgery. And if you want to do egg freezing and it takes two weeks, you got to start today. Today. today, And Mm -hmm. it does cost money. There are luckily some organizations that help with patients with cancer, but we've tried to say, hey, across the board, we feel like patients in Texas should be able to have this covered by the state if they have cancer, trying to make it mandated coverage. And some states have accomplished that, but we've not here. Really, if we could get mandated fertility coverage, that would be a a huge step at leveling
2: the playing field for everybody. Oh, my God. It would be insane. Is there any other Sort of condition that someone could have where they should consider egg freezing. Oh, probably
3: some endo. Yes, you. you yes, right. so endometriosis certainly is, especially if you get diagnosed young. It is just dis- a destructive disease by nature, and we do often see people progress to ovarian destruction, low egg counts, these ovarian cysts of endometriosis, and much, much higher rates of infertility. So. If you have endometriosis and you have the option to freeze your eggs, your employer covers it or your parents will pay for it or you've saved up some money, worth it, 100% worth it. There are some other medical conditions, autoimmune conditions specifically, especially if they're going to need very strong medications to mitigate them, you um, might want to consider because some of those medications are very chemotherapeutic or they overlap.
2: I know my really good friend who I also had on this podcast, Becky Offenheiser, she has lupus. Yeah. And that was a huge part of her fertility journey, the medication she'd been on for a long time and having to do egg retrieval. So it really seems if you're have struggling with any kind of endometriosis, cancer, autoimmune diseases, these are all things to be speaking with your OB, fertility doctor, closely monitoring. Yes, exactly. Is there... Any other advice you would give to other women who are considering egg freezing?
3: Overall, if you're considering egg freezing, now is the time to consider it, meaning take at least the next step. Schedule an appointment with a fertility doctor. Hear them give you some personalized data. Get your ovaries looked at. Find out what your odds may be. Nobody is committing you from that moment to doing the procedure. But that is education, and that information may change your mind you may feel really differently once you find some of these numbers you may say gosh i want to save up and do this or that's not for me and i feel good with it go get an evaluation next step they swear we're nice and if you see somebody who's a meanie go to somebody else like we're nice we're, yeah. we, we do this job because we want to help you and it's a very personal job i don't think there's any reason not to do that step like that step do it
2: Last question that we ask every guest on Katie's Crib Parenthood is
3: hard. I mean, it's probably what everybody says. I love being a mom. Being a working mom is an extra level, as I think most people who are working parents know. My kids equally complain when I don't go to the school thing or I don't drop them off in the morning, but they're also really proud of what I do. And I love watching them take ownership of Mommy's a doctor and so Hell yeah. it's great but yeah they're interesting right 6 and 7 they're turning into those ages where you know they have their own personalities their own likes and dislikes their own attitudes and trying to help shape them into the, the best little versions of themselves
2: Oh Man. god you're ahead of me I'm terrified I have 4 and 1 6 and Ooh, 7 Oh you're seems deep a in it sticky. yes they're crashing into things and breaking oh, their heads. And a I wouldn't go back bed. to
3: one for anything.
2: Yeah, I love their great.
3: people and they have these interests and it's fun. But there's hard moments about how do you teach them some of these life lessons? How do you raise them to be good humans? Good humans, good humans right? That's so hard.
2: And that's why we've got the Katie's Crib community to make us feel less alone and laugh and learn a little bit more. And that's why we have your incredible fertility clinic. The name is... Fora fertility, you have been such an incredible guest, such a wealth of knowledge. If I was egg freezing, you would be my top choice. Of just you've made me feel really informed, empowered, safe, and excited. Thank
3: you. That was awesome. Oh, you're so
2: fun. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I want to hear from you. Let's chat. Questions, comments, concerns? Let me know. You can always find me at katiescrib at shondaland.com. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite
1: shows.